Welcome to Preaching and Preachers, a weekly podcast devoted to those who preach and to the task of preaching itself. I'm your host, Jason Allen, president of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Today, I want to welcome my friend H.B. Charles Jr. to the podcast. H.B. serves as the pastor-teacher of Shiloh Metropolitan Baptist Church in Jacksonville, Florida, where he has faithfully served since the fall of 2008. H.B. is also the author of several books, such as Getting Right with God, On Preaching, On Pastoring, The Difference Jesus Makes, and It Happens After Prayer. H.B., welcome to Preaching and Preachers. Thank you for having me. It's a joy to be with you again. Hey, it's good to be together in person, in the studio, here talking about preaching. And for me, it's a privilege to get to do that with one of my favorite preachers, who's also a good friend, namely yourself. Thank you for being with me today, H.B. It's very kind of you. Good to be with you. We're recording this uh, in the aftermath of our For the Church National Conference. Today's Wednesday. We hosted that Monday and Tuesday of this week and had over 1,100 ministers, pastors, Friends of the Seminary here for the For the Church National Conference. And H.B., you preached there as well, so thank you so much for serving us there yesterday. You preached again in chapel this morning, which was phenomenal as well as you preached on the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. And now we get to talk today in the studio, and we're going to be just framing the conversation around a series, I guess, of articles and, and perhaps of some videos you did on 50 tips on preaching, and we will not cover all 50. But we will cover a handful of these and just see really where the Lord directs the conversation. Sure. So I've been looking forward to this podcast for a number of weeks. But before we get to that, uh, give us a word of update on, on your family and uh, your, your ministry there at the church. And if there's any writing project on your mind or in the works, let us know that as well. Yeah. So by God's grace, all is well with family. My wife, Crystal, and I have three kids, two who are adult age now, working college, and our 15-year-old who uh, is the grandmother of our family, <laughs> and uh, all is well at the Shiloh Church in Jacksonville, where it's been my joy to serve now. I'm in my 15th year. And uh, at this point, I, I'm really trying to refocus my attention to spend more time trying to be a help to preachers. And so, for instance, this list of 50 preaching tips was a video that I did where I tried to give these 50 tips in 15 minutes. And I'm Spending more time along with the podcast doing videos to help give practical advice for preaching faithfully, clearly, and better. There you go. And we are all for that, faithfully, more clearly, and better. Yep. So I want to, uh, again, just pick up on some of these and tee you up to flesh these out. Yep. And uh, I love where you begin your list of 50. Now, I'm going to start there, not because I have to, but because I want to. You first say that one should should plan your preaching. Tell us what you mean by that. I think every preacher needs to have a plan for planning his preaching, whatever that plan is. I try to have an annual preaching plan, and I know that freaks guys out, but you need some plan for planning. It may be a few weeks, a month, a quarter, but you, you need a plan. I think that is significant because every pastor I talk to is busy between family responsibilities, church responsibilities, and all that goes along with that. Every pastor I know is busy, and you cannot afford, first of all, just on the practical level, to be waiting till Thursday and Friday to figure out what you're going to start thinking about saying for Sunday. Mm. That's not healthy for the preacher, and it's not going to be, over the long run, edifying to the church. And then I think you need to plan your preaching for strategic purposes so that you're cycling between Old Testament and New Testament so that you are covering in the language of Acts 20, 26, and 27, the whole counsel of God. 
and for the purpose, homiletically, of staying fresh in the pulpit. And so for time factors, for shepherding factors, and for just your own preaching, you, you need to plan your preaching. And the Lord is free to interrupt that plan, but that is not an excuse for not planning. Yeah, and as you're planning, let's say, the next six months, or in your case, you mentioned a calendar year, are you determining, okay, in 2024, I'm going to preach through the Gospel of John or begin preaching through the Gospel of John? Or are you saying, okay, over the case of these uh, 46 Sundays that I'll be home and preaching, I will preach specifically these different sections throughout those 46 sermons? Which are you doing? So September is usually the month I start on my preaching plan for the following year. It's not as daunting as it may sound on the surface. I'm going to start with Sundays I am not going to preach. Okay. Yeah, I think that's important. I think for the health of the preacher, you need to intentionally get some breaks. So there are scheduled times where it is not expected for me to preach. And you're preaching roughly how many Sundays a year Um, at, at, at Shiloh? At least 40. Okay. Yeah. Usually 45 of the past couple of years, but at least 40. So there are strategic places where I will get breaks. And then I am in a cycle where I'm going to try to do a New Testament book, preach some expositions under a biblical theme, say prayer, and then an Old Testament book, theme, New Testament, theme, Old Testament. So wherever I am, I know that I'm going to land on a book. So really I'm outlining the book. Mm-hmm. and fleshing that out for the following year. And that's going to take a chunk of those Sundays, usually. And then maybe September, October, November, through those months, I'm looking at it with the guys that I serve with. And they all say to me, hey, pastor, you haven't done any messages on this subject in a few years. Or we feel like it'd be great if before this end of this year, you next year you tackle something on worship. So I, I also factor that in to get some input. Mm-hmm. Uh, so be, but besides the the books that I'm going to work through, dividing those up, what I'm not going to preach and then what the men around me think that I should be considering saying, that gets me down the road for planning for extended periods of time. You say when it comes to sermon preparation to prepare when you are at your best. Yep. When is HB at his best? I am at my best early in the mornings. I heard as a young guy, the old preachers say, give your mornings to God, give your afternoons to the people, give your evenings to your family. That has just stuck with me. And I usually am going to bed as early as I can so that I can get up as early as I can. Amen on both of us. And get those clean mornings for study. But I have a lot of friends who are night owls and wait till everything dies down. And over the course of the evenings, they are working on their preaching. I think that whenever you are most focused, whenever you are most fresh, whatever time you are most alert and attentive is the time you should give to sermon preparation. I I mean also by that, don't merely use leftover time to prepare. You know, it's funny. This reminds me of a um, comical moment with my mentor and good friend of yours as well now, Steve Lawson. Mm -hmm. And my first ministry 
role was as his assistant beginning in the summer of 1998 as a college student uh-huh. and then serving until the summer of 2001 before my wife and I went off to seminary. And um, Steve was, you know, always committed to giving his mornings to God, so to speak, studying in the morning, same reason, you know, your best time. Again, what I, what I value as well. I remember a staff guy once complaining, and he said it kind of jokingly, but kind of complaining. He said, I just feel like our staff meetings are afternoon, and, and I, I'm, not getting, I'm not getting your best, Steve. And he yeah. said, you're right, you're not, because I'm going to give my best to God and give you my second best. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And uh, every preacher can, can resonate with that, that, yep. that knows the importance of preaching. I schedule all my meetings in the afternoons. Right, right, right. <laughs> all right. You, uh, you say that preachers should observe before they interpret. Mm-hmm. So my sermon preparation process is nothing mysterious or profound. I am working through the inductive study Bible process. If you are a rookie preacher just getting started, I, I just don't try to reinvent the wheel. The inductive study Bible process really raises four big questions. It covers observation, what does the text say? Interpretation, what does the text mean? Application, what does the text do or command? How does the text work? And then fourthly, correlation, how does this text relate to the rest of Scripture? And so really, that is a summary in big picture of my process. But I think my preaching on Sunday is best when I am giving my good attention to this observation process where I'm just spending time asking what does the text say? I think if you are not careful and as the time pressures are coming, you can skip this process from week to week and rush right to interpretation, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what does all this mean so you can put an outline together and get notes for Sunday. But I think, first of all, for my own soul's sake. And secondly, I think I am better at interpretation the more time you spend in observation. Just because you heard what I said doesn't assume you will understand what I meant. But you can't understand what I mean until you first hear what I say. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in Scripture. I think we are sometimes rushing to try to figure out what this means without listening to what the text has to say. Yeah, in my book on preaching, I, I get into this as well, and I refer to it as familiarization, familiarizing mm. yourself with the book you're preaching through, with yep. the broader sections, and with the passage under consideration. Very good. And over the years, I would say that's one of the key ways my my sermon preparation has changed, has has matured, and I think has 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 strengthened. Mm-hmm. Is just having the open Bible and a good English translation for me. That's the New American Standard, which I use, and uh, oftentimes I'll actually have that that text photocopied, you know, mm-hmm. and you know. I, the, the the original languages are are around, but but in this moment, it's just a good good English translation I'm using, yep. and just sitting before it, praying through it, yep. looking at it, poking it, probing it with questions, and it's amazing if you will just do that in an extended way, just loiter in and over the text in a protracted way, how much more you'll see, and then how much more that will enable you to to, to better preach, teach that text, how much more your commentary work will actually help you, the extent to which you may not need to read 14 commentaries. You may only need to read four good Absolutely. ones, you know, if you if you spend your time observing, familiarizing yourself with it carefully. Yeah. Two things quickly. Dick Mayhew has a little book on interpreting the Bible. And when I first read it, read it he, he says in that book, the golden rule of inductive Bible study is that the more time you spend in observation, the less time you'll have to spend in interpretation and the better results you'll get. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was a big claim, but I, over the years, I have proved that to be true. 
I would say also just very quickly, this morning in chapel, I preached the fruit of the spirit. Multiple times in my life, I have set to memory Galatians 5, 22 and 23 and couldn't hold it. But just the process of preparing that message a couple of weeks ago and just meditating in observation without trying, I have that passage in my system. Mm. I was familiarized with it. And it's also a process of internalization that happened not by me intentionally trying to memorize that list of nine fruit there, but just observing it, spending time reading, praying, marking, circling, correlating, cross-referencing, got it in my system. And I think that's just healthy for our soul's sake, not just our preaching. That's good. That's good. You say learn to learn quicker. What do you mean by that? I picked up this advice. This was advice from a friend Ray Pritchard gave me. And I don't think I'm good at practicing this, but I think this is great advice that I aim at. Sunday's coming quick. And I, I can't believe to this day that I get paid. A part of what I get paid for is to spend time studying the Bible. So I'm grateful for that. But Sunday comes quickly and we have a lot of things to do. You need to find a way to get the gold out of those hills as quickly as possible. This is where observation, I think, again, becomes critical so that you are getting, you're familiarizing yourself with the text so that it may take you four commentaries instead of 14. Also, even just you don't want to be trying to read everything said. You want to find what are the best commentaries on this and make friends with the best commentary on that book. Whatever it helps to get the gold out of the hills quicker Mm-hmm. So that you have time on the tail, you're not producing Saturday night specials. Right. And you know, you have to. And uh, again, not to reference myself on the podcast, I'm, I'm interviewing you, not nope. myself. But but this reminds me additionally of um, something I argue for my book in preaching. Folks like ourselves, me, you, preachers in general, ministers in general, we love the scriptures. Yep. We are inquisitive about the scriptures. Mm-hmm. We like to chase rabbits within the scriptures. <laughs> yep. And if we have, you know. An unlimited amount of sermon prep time, they mean, God bless you, go for it. But different seasons of life do sometimes compress that sermon prep time. And it became clear to me, you know, years ago that I had to discipline myself. You know, the question before I preach a text is not, do I know everything that could possibly be known about this text? Mm-hmm. But rather, do I know everything that I need to know to ensure I'm, I'm faithfully interpreting it and positioned to faithfully preach it? Yep. And there's a difference between the two. Big, big, big difference. And even, look, again, you know, I'm, I'm now in my mid-40s. We're about the same age, roughly. Um, been in the ministry, you know, about 25 years. Mm-hmm. And look, the proliferation of resources the past quarter century is mind-blowing. Absolutely. I mean, the Internet was a thing in 98, but nothing like now. Mm-hmm. You know, podcasts weren't around. They're just the YouTube wasn't around. All these different... You know, websites is a thing, blogs is a thing, journal articles online is a thing, wasn't really there. And just the proliferation of good commentaries. I mean, there's so many. And so you can get lost just in an ocean of information about a passage and not be able to to assimilate it and condense it and, and bring it to bear in a helpful way in the context of a sermon. I say amen to that. And I also just want to emphasize what you said at the top of that statement. In whatever sphere you're working on, a task has a way of consuming whatever amount of time you give to it. And so you need to be intentional about your process so that you're not chasing down rabbits, so that you are not allowing yourself to be so consumed with that process that you're not getting the other things done. 
so that you can cut off this process so that you have time to let that message before Sunday marinate. All of those, I think, are important factors for you trying to get the gold out of the hills as quickly as you can. That's good. Now, you argue that one should write complete sermon manuscripts. So you preach today in chapel. I don't think you had a complete sermon manuscript. Maybe you did. I didn't look at your notes. But there's a difference between having a complete sermon manuscript and actually preaching with a complete sermon manuscript, right? Absolutely. I find it interesting that of things that I say about preaching, and I'm generally talking about preaching all the time, this is often a controversial thing for preachers. But I hold fast. I think if you are a young preacher learning the craft, I think one of the best things you can do is to write a complete sermon manuscript, write yourself clear. I think if you are a seasoned preacher and want to stay fresh in the pulpit, I think I feel I feel I don't feel any pressure that I have been preaching to the same people for 15 years because each week I, I feel I have thought myself clear and it keeps me from regurgitating language, sentence, illustrations. I am writing myself clear, I think helps me, helps the preacher in general to stay fresh in the pulpit. I don't think you should take that manuscript to the pulpit. Today, I had on a index card, enough for me to put on an index card and did not allow myself any more than that because I don't think you should be handcuffed to a sermon manuscript. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, the two guys were walking to, to preach and one guy pulled the sermon manuscript out of his pocket and the other guy said, what are you doing with that? There's no fire on that paper. And the other guy says, yep, yeah, but you can use the paper to start a fire. So, you know, if you need to use the paper to start a fire, fine. But the great failure of a communicator is to fail to communicate. And so I think factors like eye contact and all of those things are important and you don't want to be chained to a sermon manuscript. So my advice is write yourself clear, pare it down to a smaller set of notes to give you structure in the pulpit to be a kind of roadmap, but not handcuff you to reading a sermon. Preach the sermon, don't read it. All right. So we have just a couple minutes left here, but I want to try to touch on a couple more points. Yep. You argued to be intentional about sermon length. Yep. What do you mean by that? And what is your preferred length when you preach? I am grateful to God that I pastor a church where generally I can start when I start finish when I finish. I am aiming at 40 to 45 minutes at this point. I am aiming at that. So I do write a sermon manuscript. I don't want that manuscript at this point to be more than 2,500 words. I usually write it longer than that, but I am editing it down to 2,500 words. And then I am, you know, in a lot of places like here for a conference, for a chapel, where you do have set time restrictions. And I think it's important to honor that. And this is what I mean about being intentional. In a local church, generally to the local pastors, my advice, whatever amount of time you have. And there are pastors who have expectations on Sunday mornings, Mm -hmm. 25 minutes, 35 minutes, 45 minutes. Whatever that length of time is, you must be intentional. You cannot say everything that needs to be said. You need to be intentional. Likewise, you, you need to make sure you're not chasing down unnecessary rabbit trails. You want to be intentional. Is what you are including, that illustration, that quote, that reference, it all needs to serve a purpose so that you are using the time to preach as strategically as possible to get the message across. Amen. Last tip. You suggest 
preachers should ask probing questions? Do you mean of the text or from the text of the hearers? Sure. I'm, I'm, exposition is explanation and exhortation, and I, I am not as strong in application as I should be. My, my bent is to explain stuff. But I have a pastoral responsibility in that preaching to do some work of application. And I have just found that one strategic way to open the door for effective application is to ask big, direct, probing, open-ended questions. Uh, in the fruit of the Spirit, I did that several times today. Are you maturing in Christ? How, I hope you're, I said in the introduction, I hope you are a big question in your life is, how can I cultivate more Christ-likeness? Toward the end of that message, I raised this question, how, how do you taste to others? And those probing questions opened the door for me to do some work of application in the sermon, but also raises questions for the hearer to continue to think about, hopefully for the Holy Spirit, to cause them to look in the mirror of the Word and be doers and not hearers of HB, thank you for joining me on Preaching and Preachers. Always a joy. Thank you. Thank you for being with us today and for listening to Preaching and Preachers. For more information, go to my website, jasonkallen.com. That's jasonkallen.com.